Luke chapter 1. So this is the, uh, what we call the Advent season. Advent means arrival, and it's the first season in the Christian cal- uh, calendar. We don't generally think of the Christian calendar. Unfortunately, we think more of the secular calendar, where January 1st is the first kind of day of the year. But the Christian calendar starts with Christmas and the Advent season, which traditionally is about four weeks before Christmas Day. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at the story of Christmas as a way to start the year out in the same way that the gospel starts out with the coming of Christ. So we're going to read, we're going to do four messages from Luke 1 and 2, and the last one on Christmas Eve will be the actual birth of Christ. So read with me in Luke chapter 1, we're going to read verses 5 to 25. Luke chapter 1, verses 5, it says, the Bible says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughters of Aaron, was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while, the, while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were pray, was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people." This is the beginning of the Christmas story, and it starts with a, an announcement of hope. So Christmas, sometimes you'll see this, the things that say hope. The word Advent means arrival. Arrival of what? Arrival of Christ, but in a bigger sense, the arrival of hope. In this passage, we're going to see that hope necessarily means that you're waiting for something. That you don't have it yet. You're waiting for God to work. Despite the brokenness and the evidence to the contrary, 
you're trusting his promise. So look at the story. The story of Christmas, we know the story of Christmas. Jesus was born in a manger. What about before that? That's not where the story starts. So here we have the prologue to that story. We have the setting of the story. And what's the background? See, you can't start the Bible right here. There's, there's more to the story than this. So when, when this story starts, there's already a history, hundreds and hundreds of years of history. Now, at this time, it had been 400 years, more than 400 years, since the last prophet had spoken. So when this angel shows up to Zacharias, it's a big deal. So the last prophet to speak was Malachi. So if you go to the Old Testament and you turn to the last book of the Old Testament, it's the book of Malachi. That was the last word that the people had gotten. 400 years before. They'd been waiting longer than America has existed for a new word from God. And the promise in Malachi was of the Messiah. So if you want, you can turn, I'll read it there. Malachi chapter 4. So this is the last words of the Old Testament. This is what everybody in the New Testament was waiting on. This is the last thing they heard from God. Malachi chapter 4, the last chapter of the Old Testament, says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. In verse 4, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in the Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and the judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Restoration and judgment. And then the Old Testament ends. And Zechariah shows up 400 years later, waiting. All of Israel is waiting for that last chapter to be fulfilled when the Son of Righteousness returns. That's what they were praying for. So when it says all the people were gathered at the hour of incense, burning incense, that's what the prayer was for the Messiah to come. And they've been doing that year after year after year for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so then we're introduced to the first characters in this new story of Jesus, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Pretty much normal people. Now, he was a priest, but at this time there were about 18,000 priests. There was a lot of priests. They only served about two weeks out of the year and had it divided up among the families. So they're pretty normal. Nothing special about them. He shows up. He does his duty. They come from a priestly family, both of them. The one thing that do, does say about them that makes them unique in, in one sense, it says in verse 6, and they are both righteous before God, walking all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. This doesn't mean they're perfect. This is a way for the Bible to say they actually believe what they were doing. Many people kept the law like the Pharisees. They kept the law in the New Testament, but they didn't actually believe it in their hearts. This is saying that these two people, from their heart, obeyed God, which is a good thing. They're authentically following Christ. It's authentic obedience. They went, they served God, they feared God, they walked before God, and they waited, and they prayed that God fulfills his promises. And what happens? An angel shows up. Now, I'm not sure if you've seen an angel show up lately. It's kind of a big deal. It's a really big deal. 
Now, what's interesting, too, about since there are 18,000 priests, this was probably the only time, almost certainly the only time in Zacharias' lifetime that he was going to offer the incense because there's so many people. So it's already, he's already a little worked up. He's got to go in there by himself into the temple once in a lifetime chance to offer the incense up for all the people outside. So he's a little nervous. He goes in, and what happens? Gabriel shows up. An angel shows up. And like every time that an angel shows up, like when you saw the angel, so this is how you know if you saw an angel. Did you fall down in fear? Because it seems like every time someone in the Bible sees an angel, they are troubled and fear fell upon them. Tells you a little bit about angels, doesn't it? They're not babies with wings. There's something that makes you fall down with fear. So Zachariah sees this angel, and he's afraid. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. What prayer? Maybe a prayer for a child, but I think in a bigger way, a prayer for the Messiah. That's why he was there, to pray for the Messiah at the hour of incense. That's what everyone was praying for. The angel says, Your prayer is heard. I've got good news for you. I've got a message of hope. Christmas is all about hope. He has a message of hope. He says, you will bear a son, his name will be John. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He's quoting Malachi. The angel comes to Zacharias and says, do you remember that passage in Malachi, the last chapter? This is it. This is it. It's being fulfilled. God says, I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send Elijah to prepare the way. Zacharias, your son is going to be that guy. This is the beginning. After so many hundreds of years, finally, the hope had come. The message of hope. Fulfillment and preparation for what? For Messiah to fix things, to make things right. This was it. The best moment in Zacharias' life. Isn't this what we're looking for? You live right, you do right, you believe the promises, and you get a message of hope, and God fills his, fulfills his promises. That's what we should be doing. But what actually happens? What actually happens to Zacharias, this upstanding, righteous, obey God, follow the commandments and the ordinances, sees an angel that tells him what he's been waiting for, well, the same thing happens to all of us. You see, there may be a message of hope, but really, there's no sign of hope. What has changed for Zacharias? So Zacharias says, how shall I know this? I'm really old, and my wife is really old. That's not how things work. So you've given me this message, but I don't believe it, because there's no evidence. Why should I believe it? Nothing has changed. See, this is the problem with the message of hope. It's a hope because nothing has changed. Everything around us is still broken. Everything around Zacharias was still broken. His wife still didn't have any kids. And she spent her whole life like that. Even if she got a kid, what about the last 30 or 40 years? When she was a reproach in her community. So Zacharias is like, I don't know. 
I don't know, because when I look around, it doesn't seem to make any sense. So I don't, how shall I know this? For in my experience, things are pretty terrible, and nothing's changed. So it sounds good what you're saying. Your message sounds good. This message of hope sounds great, but my life is terrible. You can't eat words, right? You can't live off of words. So this, this sort of message of hope that we get in, in the Christmas time, isn't it the same? Look at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. You know who that was? It's Herod the Great. You think we've got bad leaders? This guy killed his own family so they wouldn't take over. Multiple members of his family, wives, kids. He was their leader. So every time you see a news broadcast, the Bible knows what it's like to live in a terrible political environment. Do you know who they were ruling, who they lived under? They lived under the Romans. You know what the Romans did? They didn't make peace treaties. They came in, they killed people, and then you followed them. They hurt people until they got what they want. It's the same today. So we go out and we tell people there's peace and hope. But then we look at our own lives and we look at the world around us and what do we see? Death, division, strife, oppression. There is no hope in the world. There's no signs of hope. There's no evidence of hope. Zach Rice didn't believe it after 400 years. Now it's 2,000 years later. Is the world a better place? Christians have been saying for 2,000 years, peace on earth, hope, joy. What? Where is it? The band U2 uh, has a song called Peace on Earth. Now, U2 grew up in, uh, the, the members of the band grew up in Ireland. You know anything about Ireland? In the, say, the 60s, 70s, 80s, there was a battle between the Irish and the British. And a lot of people were killed. And actually, the lead singer of U2 almost died in a car bomb. And they wrote this song in response to one of these car bombs. And it, it's a little offensive because Christians are always supposed to be happy. But they get this tension that Zacharias was feeling. Uh, the song's called Peace on Earth. It says, sick of sorrow, I'm sick of the pain, I'm sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. Tell the ones who hear no sound, whose sons are living in the ground, peace on earth. No who's are wise, no one cries like a mother cries for peace on earth. She never got to say goodbye, to see the color in his eyes. Now he's in the dirt, peace on earth. Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line? Peace on earth. To tell the ones who hear no sound, whose sons are living in the ground, peace on earth. Jesus, in the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat, peace on earth. Here at every Christmas time, but hope and history won't rhyme. So what's it worth? This peace on earth. Well, isn't this supposed to be happy time? Jesus, Jesus was born. Yeah, but then whole people get wiped out. Kids die. People get sick. It's in our songs too. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. 
I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat, a peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. If we can't grasp that this is a terrible place to live, we are sticking our heads in the sand. There's no reality. The world is broken. The world is evil. And people in the world are evil. And if we have this naive view that because Jesus was born, now everything's great, what about when it's not great? What about when it's not great? What about Elizabeth who didn't have any kids and now she's old? What about people who died? Where's the peace on earth for them? But it's more than that. It's more than just the world out there, which is broken and oppressive and terrible. It's also us. See, look at Zacharias. The problem wasn't with Zacharias's family. It was with him. He was supposed to be waiting for this moment. And what does he do when it shows up? It's not good enough. He says, it's not good enough. I want something better. I want something more. I want something on my terms. Fix it on my terms. Do it the way I think it should be done. You see, it's easy to blame the world and the politicians and everybody else for problems in the world. What about us? G.K. Chesterton was a famous uh, author in the last century. And when he was living in London, the London Times sent out an inquiry to famous authors asking the question, what's wrong with the world today? Good question, isn't it? Have you been watching the news lately? What is wrong with the world today? Here's his response. Dear sir, I am. Can you accept that? Can you accept that you're what's wrong with this world? Because if you can, it's always going to be somebody else. Zacharias had to face that he was what was wrong. He was living his own life. And when God showed up into his life to tell him what, what was going to happen, he said, no, that doesn't fit my life. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't accept it. The world is broken because we're broken. Remember in Malachi where it talks about what God's going to do when he comes back in the day, in the day like a furnace, like a refiner's fire? Why? To get rid of all the evil people who are destroying this world. Here's the catch. We're evil people. There's no hope if you don't face reality. Have you ever talked to people and they're just happy, but when you talk to them, you realize they're just ignoring all their problems? Oh, everything's great, but your car's broken. Oh, it's great. You don't have any money in the bank. Oh, it's great. What do you think? There's something wrong with you. You don't need to be cheered up anymore. You need to face reality. That's what this passage is doing. It's saying, before you get hope, you've got to realize that there's a problem. And the problem isn't with those people. It's with us. There's a lack of belief. There's a lack of working on God's agenda. Every time you see evil on the news or at your work, those are people. And you're part of the problem. That's why the Christian message is offensive. It says to you, you've got to own up to the fact that you're the problem. I don't want to hear that. It's Christmas time. It's about family and about peace 
and, and getting together and giving. No, it's not. It's about people who are broken and need something. You see, the, the angel showed up because there was problems. It says here, he will go before him to the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. What? That's a weird way to put it, isn't it? What he's saying is the world is so broken that people don't even love their kids. You're like, well, I love my kids. No, you love yourself. Otherwise, why does he need to come and turn the hearts of the children of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just? If the solution was already here, then the angel didn't need to show up. You see, Advent means arrival of something outside. We're broken. We can't fix ourselves. There's no self-help for us. We need someone from the outside to fix us. Outside of us, outside of our church, outside of our world. We have to admit that nothing in this world can help us. And that we are part of the problem and that the world's only getting worse. So what is the answer? When you look around and you're supposed to have hope and you're supposed to have had it for 2,000 years since Jesus was born and you see no sign of it, your family is just as bad as before, maybe worse. Your country is only getting worse. Everything's getting worse. There's no evidence that Christianity works. Why not be a Buddhist? They seem to be happier. They're more peaceful. Why a Christian? Where's the evidence? Here's the answer. There is none. The Bible doesn't call us to believe the evidence, to see it. It calls us to have faith. So when this message of hope comes and you receive the message and you look around and you say nothing matches, exactly. Faith says, I don't see any evidence that this is true, but I believe the message. Why? Well, look what Zechariah says is, I don't see any evidence. How shall I know this? What's the proof? My wife is barren. You've got words. And the angel answered and said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. He says, I'm not your buddy. I'm not your neighbor. I'm not your doctor. I stand in front of God and was sent to speak to you. I stood in front of the creator of the universe, and he told me specifically to come tell you this, and you're going to reject it? Who do you think you are? Gabriel saying to him, who do you think you are? I came straight from the throne of heaven with a message straight from God to give to you, and you're going to talk to me about what you can't see? That's not how it works. God doesn't meet us on our terms. A God that meets you on your terms is you. You've created that God. The God that we see here says, I'll come to you when I want to, and I'll do it the way I want to, and you'll accept it. And that's it. He says, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, unlike you, and was sent to speak to you, not you to me, and bring you these glad tidings. Glad tidings is translated, bring glad tidings, is translated, preach the gospel in other places. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. 
It's interesting they're fulfilled in their own time. He said, this message that I'm bringing is not dependent on you because you're kind of a nobody. You are gracious. God was gracious enough to give you the message, but it's going to happen. And if you want to reject it, great. It's still going to happen. You see what this is doing to us? This is saying we are God's creatures. We are not God. We don't get to reject his message. And you can say, well, it doesn't match up to what I see. God doesn't care. It doesn't meet what I know to be true. God doesn't care. And until you stand in the presence of God, you listen to his messengers. And here's what the messenger says. I'm going to fulfill my promise in the way I said I was. We don't believe Christianity because of an experience. We don't believe the message because of an experience. We believe it because of the word spoken. That's hard. We have to realize it's hard because when you look at everything, it says it's not true. So what do we do? We have to choose between believing God's message and believing our eyes. Do you trust what you see and experience or do you trust the words of God? That's a big difference. You've got to go and say, I know that there's genocide in other countries, but there's peace on earth. Those don't match. I know they don't. Not from my point of view. But my point of view doesn't matter. God's does. It's words, not experience. In Galatians chapter 3, he tells it to us Christians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. See, Zachariah says, I've followed God my whole life. I lived uprightly. I did the right thing. This is saying, so what? Do you think that God judges you based on your behavior if you're a Christian? Do you, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Did you have evidence and action, or did you receive it by the hearing of faith? Which is it? Because if you got it by the works of the law, then keep on working and keep on seeing and keep on trying. Zacharias, live right, do right, give evidence. Or did you receive it by the hearing of faith? Hearing means, by definition, you didn't see it. Abraham, it goes back before this, Abraham did not see what God had promised him. He saw a bunch of bad stuff around him, but he believed what God said. It was kind of righteousness. Do you want to be a Christian? Ignore everything you see and believe what God says. That's the hardest thing you could possibly do. We are, by nature, believers in what we see. And the Bible is saying, let me give you God's perspective, which you can't see. You just have to listen to it and believe it. We don't believe in a generic faith, a generic hope. It always gets me, remember a few years ago in Baltimore, they had those signs up that said, believe? 
That's a great sentiment. You've got to believe in something. You can't be cynical and skeptical. But believe in what? Christmas is not a message of a season of hope. It's a season of hope in God's promises. It's not enough to just have faith. See, what is faith? Faith is not an action. Faith is not a work. Faith is not evidence. Faith is hearing God's word and believing it in spite of evidence to the contrary. You see, Zacharias thought, this is evidence through the Bible, that if he lived right, God would bless him. But what happened? He lived right, and he didn't get blessed. Well, how do you know God loves you? If you did right and you didn't get something for it, how do you know God cares for you? Because he said he did. Yeah, but all this stuff, all this bad stuff's happening to me. I don't have any kids, or I can't get that job, or I'm sick. What about? He said he loved you, and that's all you need. And if that's not enough for you, then the Bible says, who are you? Did you stand in the presence of God? Were you sent by God? No, we received the message, the hearing of faith. And it doesn't always, in fact, it almost never works out like we think it should. We think Jesus should come back and save the world and get rid of all these evil people. But he hasn't, has he? When's he going to? I don't know. Keller says, you cannot judge God by your calendar. God may appear to be slow, but he never forgets his promises. He may seem to be working very slowly, slowly, or even to be forgetting his promises. But when his promises come true, and they will come true, they always burst the banks of what you imagine. God's grace virtually never operates on our time frame, on a schedule we consider reasonable. In other words, put all your expectations aside. Put all your experience aside. Put all your evidence aside and say, what did God say? And if it takes 400 years or 2,000 years, doesn't matter. And if I see people die and I see people suffer, it doesn't matter. That's a hard saying. Don't say that lightly. It doesn't matter in the sense that God's promises will be fulfilled. And suffering doesn't change God's promises. And evil doesn't change it. You see, we've got two options here. You can accept the message of the Bible, or you can reject it. Those are your only two choices. But if you reject the message of the Bible, you reject hope. You can't have it both ways. You can't reject God's message and still have hope in something. There is no hope. If God doesn't keep his promises, then what is there to hope in? Let's take it to its logical conclusion. If God doesn't keep his promise, and this can't be trusted, everything's temporary. One reporter said, in the vastness and incomprehensibility of the universe with all its black matter, wormholes, and improbabilities that we live in, surely atheist Christopher Hitchin had it right when, as he was dying of cancer, he said, to the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely bothers to return the reply, why not? You see, if this isn't true, no one cares. And the people that you think care, they'll be gone soon enough. That's your options here. Receive God's message of hope and repentance and faith in him or give up. Because the universe doesn't care about you. This earth doesn't care about you. Your body doesn't care about you. It's all going to betray you and let you down in the end. But 
If it's true, then we follow a God who comes down to us, breaks into our world, and keeps his promises. You see, if you have a faith that's not dependent on evidence and on the circumstances around you, then when the circumstances change, your hope doesn't change. You want a hope that'll last? You want something that'll carry you through sickness? That'll carry you through loss? It can't be based on those things. So what the Bible is offering here, what it's given to Zacharias and what it's giving to us, is saying stop looking around because those are going to change and start looking to God. And then whatever happens, your hope doesn't change. And that's a message that nobody else can, nobody else can give you except for Jesus Christ, born on this earth as a man, died for us, rose again, and put it all down in a message that we can read. Accept it, and you have hope through anything for eternity. Reject it, and when God comes back, you'll be in the furnace. It says the day of his coming is like a furnace. It's like a refiner's fire. For who? For the people who rejected him. I know that's not a feel-good Christmas message, but it's the truth. And it'll save you. Accept God, be taken care of. Reject God and be purified off the earth. Removed. It is a message of hope, if you believe the message. Let's pray.